0: The Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts.
1: I'm Huai Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in DC.
2: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the DC area.
1: So today, we are going to be starting off a sort of special uh, themed episode. This is in collaboration with the Cosmic Potato, and it's going to be the first of many episodes through Cosmic Potato Connected podcast, in which we'll be discussing what we think is the perfect movie. So this is a perfect movie in terms of craft, uh, other such techniques, uh, but we'll discuss that as well, like what the uh, parameters of that is. And this is a sort of um topic that was first kicked off on twitter based on a twitter thread from jordan horowitz and then it's it's since spread to other social media and is now on the podcast form so why don't we kick off this discussion by discussing what is a perfect movie what do you guys think defines a perfect movie anya you go first
0: i mean for me it's it's a lot of things um I think, but there are two big things for me that I think have to qualify a movie as a perfect movie for you. Because remember, these are like personal perfect movies, not like, like my perfect movie might be disagreed with by someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, A, it has to be a movie that when you think about it critically, there is nothing you could improve upon. Mm -hmm. Think, for example, when I made H.T. change her rating of Paddington 2 to 5 stars. (laughs) She admitted she couldn't improve anything, therefore, five stars. And that's kind of how I think about it, like, just if there's nothing I can improve. Like, I'll give an example. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shakespeare in Love, but there are things I could improve in that movie. It might be my favorite movie, but it's imperfect. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to my second point, is that, all right, stay with me. Hopefully you guys get this. A movie you like can be imperfect, but a perfect movie can't be one you dislike. Okay. Because I saw a lot of comments being like, this isn't like your favorite movie, it's the perfect movie. But I'm of the mind that if a movie is perfect in your eyes, you also must like it. Because if you dislike it, there's something about it you would change. No, I definitely agree with that. Therefore making it not perfect. Yes. So those are just my things. You have to like the movie and when you think about it for a long hard time there's nothing that you can think to improve upon it
1: I, those I'll, are good parameters yeah i think those are good points anya um i think for me a perfect movie is one that i would put like less personal stock in it i know like it's su- it's something that like i still enjoy and i think it's great but it's something that i think sort of is elevated just from your own mm-hmm. personal experience uh for example one that's like the opposite of this is Wonder Woman, which is a movie I love and which really changed my whole perspective on blockbusters, but which is a movie I know is fundamentally flawed and has a lot of issues. So that would be the like the opposite of what this perfect movie would be. It's something that I think is technically perfect. It's thematically perfect, narratively perfect. It checks all those blocks, essentially, but it has maybe like a little something more. Mm-hmm. So. This okay. would be some yeah, this will be something interesting, I think to discuss Will uh, willoughby, what do you think would make the perfect movie?
2: I mean, I have something very similar um mine's more my my film my my parameters for a perfect movie like kind of are both of yours like it's one of those things where it's like if there's a flaw and the the if if there's a flaw in one part, but the other parts are so perfect that. You kind of can dismiss the flaw that you might see; it still qualifies as a perfect movie. Like, like it's like the like the movie is greater than the sum of it some of its parts. Mm-hmm. If it if um like if you're enamored with the character growth or the plot, but the filmmaking isn't the best. And, you know you could still consider it a, f- a perfect movie i think um i think that it it doesn't have to be every not everything can hit every nail on the, on the in the head like just to the exact right perspective because like we said artist's objective so like you point a camera at a car- at someone acting and like depending on how you do it it's either good or bad but like technically, but some person might like it, some person might not.
1: So, like, interesting. You know what? I, I think it, actually, that would actually I, sort of disqualify it for me because I feel like this, yeah, is, a that would this so you,
2: is a different disqualify so for me. This a different sort of. Do uh... so you think that it, a perfect film has to be perfect for literally everyone? It's no, not no, no, for not everyone. everyone. Everything.
0: everything. It's For us personally. Yeah. But there can't be anything in the film that I again would improve upon. So, like, if the filmmaking is bad. Therefore it's not perfect to me. It could be really really good and close to perfect, yeah. but it's not perfect. That's what sets it apart
1: from being a like a list of our favorite movies versus a list of what we think are perfect movies. Interesting. So it's- I guess I just have a different take on it. Cuz yeah. I
2: like I think that you can kind of like judge a movie and and see what they were trying to do. And if the and if that elevates it beyond what they actually did, see, but
1: I, I think, would usually take that for like when I'm criticizing films in general. But this, I think, is something yeah, that's like this, a different sort of uh, um, discussion point.
0: A different different parameters, yeah. For me, mm-hmm. yeah. Like
1: so, yeah.
0: Okay. I also I also want to say as part of this discussion, um, when I was thinking about like. Because um, the second half of this episode is going to be us listing three movies we all consider perfect. Mm. Um, that was really hard, first off, because there are so many movies in the world, and you're like, oh man, that one. But also, and you have to like start thinking about them critically and like <clears throat> really analytically. And it brought me back, as I feel like any discussion about film does, to once more, the lack of opportunities for women and people of color Mm -hmm. because the i was i was thinking about it and i was like man i just i really want to film by a woman on my list and it's not that there aren't films that are perfect by women but like the pool is so much smaller Mm -hmm. because of the lack of opportunity so like my favorite movie by a woman is marie antoinette by sofia coppola it's imperfect Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i couldn't put it on my list it's my favorite movie directed by a woman I can't put it on there, because there are flaws. And I was just thinking about it, and I was going through, like, my favorite movies by women, and, like, it just reminded me of the fact that, like, when you look at the history of film, they, white men, outnumber them so much in terms of, like, how many films have been directed by them. And this doesn't really have to do with perfect films, but, like, when I was going through films, it just made me realize, like, again, once more, how opportunities lack.
1: And it's also limited by how, what movies we've seen as well, because I know yes. in the discussion there are, there are some international films that were put up for um, sort of discussion, but I was like, oh man, I haven't seen that one yet. So For example, In the Mood for Love or um, Seven Samurai, which I haven't seen, and I'm very sorry to say I haven't seen it yet, uh, a lot of... Kira Kurosawa films, I feel like, could be defined as perfect movies, but it's just I haven't seen them yet, so I can't feasibly list them. And... Kurosawa
0: is really good. You should see his take on Macbeth.
1: Yeah, I hear good it's things. Phenomenal. Yeah. So for me, it's like I, I I don't want to like our list to be sort of like the the be at, be all end all because it is sort of skewed by our own pers- what we've actually seen as well. See,
2: that's the, that's the thing though is like perf like movie art is subjective. I think we can't be objective. Well, I think this it. is
1: coming from it from a technical per- perspective as well, like how well yeah. a movie flows, and I think that's something that you should like. You should be you should know as well because it's like, m- would a movie like Citizen Kane be more technically perfect than a movie that you love, like Back to the Future, for example?
0: And I think also, I think Willoughby, no one is taking the idea of a perfect film and being objective with it because again, mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. This is. Right. When we list our movies, these are three films that are perfect in my eyes. Right, They are subjective to what I think qualifies it as perfect. But again, you could be like, no, that movie's flawed to me. It's not perfect. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. So this is a subjective discussion. But like HT was saying, for me, the idea of a perfect film has different connotations than a film that like... I just love Unabashedly. Mm -hmm. And there are some movies on my list that, like, were in my top 15 when we all did our top 15 movies. But I tried Mm -hmm. to get at least one that wasn't to, like... Brought in the scope but again i also think that you have to like a perfect film so like of course some of mine are gonna be my favorite so
2: mm-hmm. that's, i guess that's i guess i'm just like conflating the two because if you mm-hmm. like in your head if you if you think of if a movie is one of your favorites wouldn't you also i mean in your head think it's perfect like yeah. I, I guess i, I guess I, i'm not i'm not the greatest film critic so like trying to separate the two is hard for me yeah so like I, the yeah, three movies I, I have on the list are three of my favorite movies of all time but I also do think that they're perfect movies. Like, I don't think any of them can be improved.
1: Well, then I, there you go. Yeah. I think that I that's I... mean, what... Go ahead, HG. Oh, no, you go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, <clears throat> so you like all your favorite films, and in your mind, they are perfect. Yeah. And so like, that's what I was saying, like, with Shakespeare in Love. It's probably my favorite film, or one of my top three, definitely. But the lack of queer identity in the film makes it imperfect to me i there is you know a lot of like gay panic sort of in that film and i don't think that's right and i think it's inaccurate also for shakespeare so like it's imperfect in that regard to me but it's still also like one of my favorite films so like do you see yes no i see what you're
2: talking about in that case so Um. yeah and I, I should say one of my one of my favorite movies has has been adapted to a certain Broadway stage that's been running since 1996. Uh, so this is a perfect film, and not a perfect Disney Broadway musical. <laughs> All
0: right, <laughs> hold on, it is well, a perfect
2: Disney Broadway musical. Yes, it is. But I'm saying a film. I don't think the like the 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 Broadway musical is its own separate entire thing.
0: Yeah, but we're not talking about Broadway adaptation. I was I know, just that's afraid you saying, gonna say like, it.
2: When we're talking about it oh can't God. be improved upon we can't be improved upon, I'm saying like in the film itself.
0: Yes. No, not yes. I think that's what we're all saying. I was always afraid just, that you were don't. gonna say that that's an imperfect musical because it's not.
1: No. Oh yeah, that's yes. what I thought you were saying like, too. I was like, Oh, is that not- shade towards the <laughs> I was like, Whoa Because what
2: I okay, spoiler alert for my list, <laughs> The Lion King. There are yes. certain songs in the Broadway musical that I find are some of my favorite songs. Mm. On, on, but they're not in the movie. So you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Shadowland, like, uh... Endless like, Night, which is like the best Like, those are not in the movie, but I still think that the movie is...
0: Well, it, yeah, it, but I it, don't it, think any like, of us are... We're not comparing it to the Broadway musical.
2: Okay, a I guess film. that's what I... When you guys were talking about, like, movies can't be, like, these can't be improved, I would, like, I guess my thing is, like, if the movie, like, if the live-action movie with John Favreau incorporates the Broadway songs, like, it could be better, like, because, like, I love those songs. So, like, yeah.
0: it's a weird thing. I think, you, I think you have to, like, limit your scope, almost, because, like, you you wouldn't improve upon the movie by adding in Shadowland and Endless Night, because they, A, don't really fit the movie narrative, and they fit really well on stage, exactly. but also, like, they're added partially because Broadway musicals are longer than movies. Like, right. Lion King's, like, what, an hour and a half? The musical's, like, two hours. Lion like, they had to they had to add songs. They ha- and that happened with every movie to a stage adaptation. They have to add songs because they have to be longer, and so like you can't go in and add it to the movie because then it would be too long and imperfect. Like exactly. So I think just so
2: like you're just to draw, right? It's it's a it's a little interesting because it's like you're not improving the film, but the Broadway musical is still incredible, even though it's different. Yeah, but
0: I th- I think it's just don't take separate adapt. Like it's the film itself entirely and put blinders on and it's just that you're not even thinking the musical doesn't exist in this discussion let's, at least for me. let's get into it
1: yeah let's get, <laughs> let's get into this to our top three this is how,
2: this is how debatable this idea though oh, it was yeah perfect that's film I is. such an interesting yeah, topic that's because it's something to, that's like i think kind everyone of what I defines do. a little differently that's yeah. kind of why prodding you guys because I wanna get this like conversation like right. I wanna get these parameters down.
1: Well since oh, since we already oh. know what Willoughby's first choice is, uh, why don't we start with Willoughby? Yeah.
2: So like I led off with this conversation, The Lion King is my favorite movie of all time. And I also think that it is a perfect movie. Cause I think that the character of Simba's arc is so phenomenal and so relatable and so everything that I and that I think you can't not say it's a perfect film. The songs are incredible. The the film the animated filmmaking is stunning. It's one of the I when, when I saw it re-released in 3D, it was one of the best 3D uh, reduxes I've ever seen in my life because what what they did when they made the movie is that they had a foreground, middle ground and background um like in their artwork, so by, when you converted it to, to 3D, you really had the landscape and the horizon of the of the African continent, like there for your like you could see on the horizon. There was a curvature to the earth in the theater, and it was one of the most breathtaking experiences I've ever seen. Um, and rewatching the movie on Blu-ray is one of those situations where you're you're you, you can see so much, and it's so perfect and. The storyline, I mean, yeah, it's kind of Hamlet, but it's also its own thing, and they make it so good, and you've got Mufasa as this proud father who is also vulnerable, and you've got Scar, who's this uh, charismatic leader who's evil, and you've got Nala, who's great and wonderful and so pure heart, and you've got Simba, who's conflicted, but at the end of the day knows where where his compass lies, true north. And Pride Rock and uh, Timon and Boomba are just excellent comedic relief. They're never, you know, they're never the annoying sidekicks. They're just, they're perfect. Um, And Zazu is great. The whole movie is so good, guys. (laughs) I I can't be like I'm not eloquent enough to, like, really talk about how much I love it without writing, like, a
1: six-paragraph essay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Sometimes they so, like, something so much, you just can't, like, be, you can't, can't be you eloquent can't about it. That's, that's me it with back. a lot of
1: things. I just, like, start stuttering yeah. and be like, I love it. I can't talk about how... I can't contain yeah. the like, of my love. love.
2: <laughs> and, like, there's just certain shots in that movie that are just, like, iconic. Like, Simba stepping in the paw print of his own father and seeing the size difference. Like, it affects me so deeply that, like, I saw it again in theaters a couple months ago with a friend of the pod, Josh Axelrod. And, like, he, it's also one of his favorite films, if not his favorite, as well. And we were just, like, sitting there in the theater, like, almost almost alone. And we were just like, "What's This movie so good! Um, and so, yeah. The Lion King is my number one. Uh, should I move on to my number two? Yeah, go yeah, for it. it. Uh, um, my number two is Back to the Future, which H D also referenced. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
0: H.G. Uh, just, sorry, disinselting like, everyone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although so, actually, I, I will pull back on it because I was thinking about Back to the Future, and I'm like, maybe it actually is kind of a perfect movie structurally. It, it's, it is really great.
2: Structurally, you can't really find a flaw because the, mo- the 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 movie is so objectively it knows objectively what it needs to do. Like w- Marty's objective is to get back to the to the future, <laughs> um, and so. And I love the the, set, the opening scene setup of like all the clocks and the, like the Rube Goldberg machine, and how they're all fifteen minutes late, and just it, it move the movie moves so briskly that there's so and there's so much in uh, the storytelling visually. I think Robert Zemeckis is one of the greatest visually visual filmmakers. Um, recently not so much but like some of his greats are just amazingly breathtakingly uh visual um and most of those three are the back to the future films um and i think that the movie you know it it just you know grappling with uh, there's a lot of father son stuff going on in my list um like meeting is there something you want to to
0: talk about
2: um but marty like understanding who his father is like getting a real idea of who he was as a kid and his mom too, uh, and defeating Biff and, you know, getting his father to to be the confident man that he believes his father to be is so empowering and so great. And also like the climactic visuals at the end and sending Marty back to the future. Spoiler alert, he goes back to 1985. Um, He, you know the whole sequence is so perfectly shot and alan silvestri's score is on top of it and christopher lloyd the acting is phenomenal like everyone is exactly everyone knows exactly what this movie is who these characters are there's nothing shy about this this movie movie's movie and i and like the the time travel um, changes to the pa- to the future from the past are great. Like in the beginning, there's the Twin Pine Mall, and then when he goes back to the present, it's the Lone Pine Mall because he knocks down a pine tree. At the beginning, when he goes back in time, so like they changed the mall. They, it, it's so good, and like he changes the future, so like Doc gets to live. And it's just so good. I think structurally, it like there's it doesn't miss a beat. It goes, it it perfectly nails everything it's supposed to do, and I think it's just so great. I can't really. It's just the cinematography, like the editing. It's so wonderfully shot. The Johnny B. Good sequence is amazing. Um, it's so iconic.
1: I will say my only problem with the Johnny B. Good scene, though, is the fact that it basically implies that a white guy invented. Um... Yeah,
2: there's that. <laughs> um, it's yeah, there's that. That's the one weird thing. Um... <laughs>
1: but I will actually, yeah, I'm going to rescind my earlier sort of jab at Back to the Future and say that I think it is pretty close to a perfect movie just because it is so structurally strong and really like you were saying brisk and tight and everything there's not a frame that's really wasted in terms of like adding to the overall sort of story and what it leads to essentially
2: yeah like i don't think you can say the same thing about the other two back to the future movies i think there are some problems with them um but i think the first back to the future is a perfect movie so this isn't saying me saying the trilogy is perfect just the first movie because i think it is such an iconic classic um so my third film uh any guesses as as to what it might be guys
1: i don't know what do you think hugo just
2: throw a guess i'm just
1: i'm just playing with you just
0: toy story
2: no it is a film by one Mr. George Lucas. It is American Graffiti. Oh! Plot twist! Plot twist! You thought I was going to say Star Wars. No. American Graffiti. Although Star Wars is a perfect film for me. Uh, But my top three. American Graffiti. I think it's perfect. I think structurally it is one of the most enticing films I've ever seen. Because basically for like 30 days George Lucas could only shoot at night. He shut down a town. He had like old '60s cars fly, like going through up and down Modesta, California, and he. It really shine. shines as a technical achievement, of you know, like you've got it basically like de- defined like almost like a new genre, like the one the one night. Uh, the last night in the summer the kids go out and do something ridiculous for like one final time like super bad and like all those types of movies like this but this is wholesome and pure um but you've got Ron Howard you've got Richard Dreyfuss um as as the main two uh characters and they're they're at a cross point they're at a uh crossroads in their life one of them is debating on going to college one of them knows he's going to college but he has a girlfriend back home and they're dealing with, like the, like, the the difficulties and conflicts of both of those choices of going to college, and it's the last night of summer, they're about to head off, and literally, like, the next day, and it's, like, one final night of of teenagerdom, um, and it's so fun, because, like, it's, you've got three four, or four different plot lines going on, uh, and it the, the characters weave in and out of each other's stories. And so like, if you were only following one character, you would see like the other character pop in like every 15 minutes and be like, Oh, what's up? And it's like, I'm just doing this thing. Um, and the, the, I, and like the way that he ties it all together is the radio because you've got all these cars cruising up and down Modesto, California, all tuned to the same radio station of Wolfman Jack. And you've got him like DJing all these old fifties and sixties songs um and the soundtrack is perfect too. It's 40 songs of just old time rock and roll, uh, everything, and it ties everybody together because like he the way he edits the movie is that you go from one group of characters' story to another by transitioning through the radio where you've got like another sound another song coming up, and it switches to what they're listening in the car from the same radio station. So I think it's so such a weird such an influential editing technique in terms of like using sound and using st- space and time to tell four different stories over one night and having these characters grow and change by the circumstances of, of the plot that they're involved in and by the end of the movie they're not the same people the characters make make different choices at the end of the movie that they didn't think they were going to make and and it's you know for better and for worse and i think that it's such and it ends in such a powerful way of like Characters trying to do things that they didn't think they had it in them to do, and they realize the realities of their existence. And at the end of the movie, you know, they, are, they all move, go their separate ways, and you get to, you know, the little title cards at the end tell you what, what happens to them. Um,. And I think that it's it's such a perfect encapsulation of what it means to be a teenager. Even though it's set in 1962, it was made in 1974, and this is 2018, I think you could still relate to the movie. And I think that's why I think it's also perfect, is because it's timeless, even though it's set in a very specific time. Um, and yeah, like you guys didn't think I would be talking about another a, a non-Star Wars <laughs> Lucas
1: movie. Well, um, I know. Um, I will say though, there. I, I would have probably argued it with you if you if you picked A New Hope because of the uh, power converter scene.
2: Oh. No, that's a perfect scene, too, because it didn't perfectly encapsulate Marks Hamill's character at that moment in his life. But oh I want to go to Tashi Station because of ca- power converters. He is supposed to be that whiny. He is supposed to be Mark I Hamill. Will, I will defend Luke Skywalker
0: it. and A New Hope to my dying days. I think I think A New Hope has some plot structural
2: problems. Oh,
1: yeah, it has but, a few. <laughs> yeah, I guess.
0: Um, but I will defend <laughs> whiny
1: Luke.
2: Um, I will defend whiny Luke, too, because it proves his character uh, arc, and uh, yeah, so American Graffiti, and it, it also has like a proto Luke Skywalker in Ron Howard's character, um, who is was also the basis for his character on Happy Days. Uh, American Graffiti was pretty much a backdoor pilot for Happy Days, the way, it, uh, Ron ha- like Ron Howard as the star and whatnot, um, and it's like fifties uh nostalgia and all that jazz, um but other but like George Lucas always kind of self inserts his, his self into these characters like you can look at um Ron Howard's character or Luke Skywalker and be like oh that's just George Lucas and where he was in his lifetime um <laughs> so and like yeah like George Lucas basically made American Graffiti to, make it, to remake his childhood uh but yeah i think American Graffiti is a perfect film awesome and and, and i think people forget that that was his first critical success. I mean, T H X one one three eight was also a critical success, but it was like a financial and critical success. Like it, he was nominated for like best director and best picture with American Graffiti. It was a it was a smash hit. I think people forget that because of Star Wars, but American Graffiti was like what base his big break.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we yeah. saw baby
1: Harrison Ford in it, didn't we?
2: Uh kind of baby. Because he's only three years older than uh, where he was in, in uh, Star Wars.
1: Yeah, I guess he was never uh, really a baby really because he was like 30 by the time he started acting. He was already so.
2: 30, <laughs> but he was wearing a hat. And it's very funny to see him being like, to pl- he was wearing a cowboy hat. It's very fun. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's me talking about a George Lucas picture. <laughs> a different one than what I've been talking about for the past three years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anya, what are your top three Uh, perfect movies.
0: All right. Well, similar to where Willoughby realized he had a father-son thing going on, I realized that two of my films on my list are films that I initially dismissed and now think are perfect. So clearly, I also need to stop judging things before I see them sometimes. (laughs) I'm getting that impression from my list. We have a theme going on. So I'll get to those two first. Um, So, like HT mentioned, uh, this whole thing started with a Jordan Horowitz Twitter thread. And she mentioned before the podcast started that there were a lot of repeats, and there are a lot of repeats. And one of those repeats was Casablanca. And there's a reason for that. And Casablanca is the first one on my list. Um, And it's one that, like, when I saw it, I was like, alright, I feel like this is a movie I have to see. But, like, you know, it was, like, ranked, like, top of the AFI list for so many years. And, like, I was like, is it really that good? And, like, I loved classic Hollywood, as we know. But, like, I was a little skeptical.
1: And You were a I Casablanca
0: skeptic? I was before I saw it.
1: No just, and then I've, I, I've only ever known you as, like, the most, the biggest Casablanca fan I've ever met. I know.
0: I'm, like, really good. Well, when did
2: you see it? When did you see it?
0: Uh, the first time I saw it was in twenty. So, oh, wow. 13. Oh, that's like around the same time I first saw it. Yeah, and the thing is, the thing is, I became a stan the second it finished when I first watched it, so
2: like... Got it. So like, it was never, like, you you never saw it when you were younger, didn't like it, and then saw it again. Yeah, no, I never
0: saw it growing up, and I was like, okay, like, it's like people say, it's like the best movie in the world, and I'm like, alright, how true can this be? Um, And I had only just recently, like, discovered my love of Humphrey Bogart and Lauren McCall. That kind of happened in college. And so I finally watched it because I was like, I have to. I like Humphrey Bogart now, blah, blah, blah. And I watched it and I was like, oh. Oh, there is a reason that people put this at the top of their lists. And it is now at the top of my list because it is a perfect film. Casablanca is actually perfect. There's nothing I can think of on to improve it. The characters are great. The script is wonderful. It's paced well. All the dramatic highs and lows are so deeply felt. The flashbacks um, with Rick and Ilsa in Paris are wonderful. It just it it kills me in the best way. And I realize that like you know that whole idea of like cliches or cliches for a reason, and it's like, this movie is highly praised for a reason. Yes. Um, one of my college professors, Middens, who we've mentioned on here before, great mittens we often have the debate, um, in, uh, Casablanca about whether or not Rick and Ilsa sleep together in the big climactic, like, scene where they have their big debate. Um, it's fun, because, like, I like this movie doesn't give you all the answers, and it makes you debate things. Um, also, with one of my film professors in college, Willoughby, we actually compared this movie to Star Wars, so I thought you might find that interesting. <laughs> we had a whole extended conversation during his office hours about how Rick is basically a Han Solo character. Oh, yeah, totally. And how if there was a sequel to Casablanca, Rick and Ilsa would end up together, like Han uh, and Leia. Ah, oh. Casablanca
1: oh, never had but a sequel I, I don't want. I wouldn't want that to happen. I don't think because <laughs> it, it's would so neither, perfect at the end where he chooses. No, to... neither.
0: There should never be a sequel to Casablanca. Yeah. It's perfect the way it is. Did they, the they try that in the seventies once? I
1: think they tried that. I don't in the know, 70s. but
0: I will never watch that because ugh. But yeah, we debated how there were similar character mappings going on in Casablanca and Star Wars. Interesting. Um, with like. Ilsa, Leia fighting for a higher cause and, like, Rick Hahn being out for himself and... Who's the dude that I'll... Ilsa's with then? Uh, she... Have... I mean, he's not really Luke. He's just the character in Casablanca.
2: So right, he doesn't really have an Oh, there's no real Star Wars analog to him.
0: Yeah. He's sort of Luke if Luke and Leia weren't siblings. <laughs> yeah, but that's mm-hmm. something that doesn't
1: invent it until, like, That'll third change. film anyways. Yeah. Um, so if there was a third no. Casablanca, you would yeah, have Cal- Elsa accidentally marrying her cousin or something.
2: <laughs> exactly. Casablanca three—that sounds like the most cynical Hollywood thing I've ever heard. It sounds
0: terrible. But the, the first graduate two, the only Casablanca, is a perfect movie. Agreed. The end. All right. So my next one is a movie that again I initially dismissed. Then I saw it. Is it Whip. so? It's my, one you, I, you hadn't seen before. Hadn't seen it before. And it is Her by Spike Jones. Mm
1: -hmm. Wait, you dismissed it at first? You too love that.
0: During the trailers, I was like, oh God, it's like a manic pixie dream girl movie, but the twist is that she's like an AI. I was like, oh, this is so annoying. Like, I'm tired of these manic pixie dream girl movies. Like, she's going to fix Joaquin Phoenix, blah, blah, blah. And I saw it, and it wasn't that at all.
2: At all. Marketing is a hell of a drug.
0: I know. This movie explores relationships and humanity and heartbreak and growth and dependence and all these wonderful things about what it is to be human and what it is to love. To love yourself and to love another person. And I just think that it is such a profoundly impacting film that I I just I could never improve upon it. I think the cinematography is gorgeous.
2: Oh my god, it's so good. It's
0: so good, right? All those like soft close ups and the focuses, I just it's so beautiful. The score is stunning. It's such a beautiful score for such a beautiful film. And the performances are great. I still maintain that Scarlett Johansson should have gotten a best supporting actress nomination. Or mm-hmm. her role as Samantha. I
2: also think it's buck wild that they were not on set together. Like, that's yeah. not... a, they a were, emotional like, connection that they Johansson, strike up. Like, Scarlett Johansson wasn't supposed to be the voice of Samantha, I don't think. So she wasn't on set to do, like, line readings for Joaquin Phoenix. And so, like, the fact that you believe that they're talking to each other is something so profound. Yeah,
0: the connection between Samantha and Theodore is... Very real. Um, And I think it also kind of hits me, especially now, like, being in a long-distance relationship, like, that that connection is just as valid as any other. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, you know, it really speaks to, like, 21st century connections over the internet or anything like that. And I just think that it taps into what it means to be human and have emotions so well. And it's just beautiful. This movie just it gets me every time, and I love the ending. Like I love that Samantha is her own character with her own flaws and her own growths, and she does things for herself. Um, so, so yeah, so her is my second movie. I love it. Yay!
1: Aww. It's
0: so good. So which um, third? My last one is not one that I dismissed when I saw it. So the three. <laughs> so one back.
2: you've always known was going to be perfect, and then you yes. saw it, and then it was perfect.
0: Yes. Um. Funny enough, it's another Spike, which I also just realized. So I have. A is it where on. the wild things are? No, it's not Spike Jones. It's Spike, um, Lee. Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Oh. So my last film is Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Yeah. Uh, I still which? Seen it. Yep. I saw it in college, and it blew me away. Um, this film is just so powerful. and But I think, you know, beyond that, like, it was always going to be powerful and have a lot of commentary about what it was about and who it was who was directing it, Spike Lee. But I think also from a filmmaking perspective, this movie is a wonder. Um, HT, you've seen it, right?
1: I haven't seen the whole thing, but I have seen. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, the whole thing about Do the Right Thing is that, like, it takes place in, like, a New York City summer, um, and he basically uses the actual heat from, like, the weather as, like, a metaphor for the boiling point of the community itself with, like, race relations. And so, throughout the movie, before, like, all the climactic stuff at the end, like, you're seeing people, like, fanning themselves, and, like, the heat is getting to them, and the way Spike Lee just shoots the characters and shoots the movie to show the heat of the weather is so palpable. Like, you watch it and you feel, like, you start getting warm yourself because of the way he shoots it. It just feels like it's enveloping you into these, like, uh, emerging emotions and how these characters are feeling and, like, struggling, being oppressed by both the heat and society itself. And it's so it's unlike anything I've ever watched before just in terms of like how he took a single environment and a single aspect of the environment and mapped it onto this whole complex situation of race and identity and community and I just think it's really well done I mean perfect and that end the end climax is insane in like the best way it like it is a punch to your gut when you watch that ending. Um, And it is every time, no matter how many times you've seen the film. So I just think Do the Right Thing is a perfect film. It's absolutely fantastic. And you guys should both definitely watch it because it is worth seeing. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I definitely need to. Um, And so I'll go with my top three. Yes. Okay, so my first pick uh, is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, that's such a good choice. It's a movie that I think is just completely perfect in terms of how they stage the action, in terms of how they introduce and set up the characters, and pull off each character's individual arcs. Oh, just in terms of like its thematic and narrative weight, it is a movie that it just it pulls you along for the ride, and it just completely and you get completely engrossed in it, and it's something that has so many layers to in terms of like it's a simple chase scene essentially a chase movie but the more that you watch it the more layers you pack onto it and the more sort of uh deeper sort of readings that you can pull into each into the characters and into each sort of choice that they make uh in terms sort of like in terms of thematic beats just like every time i watch it there's something that i i pick up or i think uh, or that something that st- uh, sticks out to me even more. For example, the idea of the seeds and the um, the woman from the the female tribe who is carrying around the seeds for a new life and a new sort of evolution, and how she how women are the ones who will save the earth because they are the maternal sort of protectors who are, who both like will raise up like, new life as well as bring new life into that into the world. And- oh my god. You just blew my mind. <laughs> it's just it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect action film and it's a perfect film altogether. And I like that every single one of the characters, you know at first like you see the um the wives and you think they're only scantily clad models, but they each have their own arcs and they have such rich sort of histories that are sort of suggested and implied and that you see glimpses of throughout the film. There is no wasted moment in the movie. And it's a movie I could rave about for hours. I remember I watched it again silently when I was in Thailand and it was like playing on this boat, this ferry that we were that we were um, going across to like go to an (laughs) island and my friend had never seen it before so I was just explaining the entire thing to her and I got really excited just like telling her all the meanings and like um thematic beats to it and she's like I'm enjoying this so much more than if I were just watching it and it's something that like made me realize even more how perfect this movie is just because I could enjoy it just like explaining it to someone while watching it on silent essentially it's pretty much a
2: silent film it is like that's the thing like you could have title cards instead of dialogue and it really wouldn't be different um, but yeah, that's such okay. a good movie. You know, hey, did you guys ever have to do, um, I know you both took film minors.
1: Yes. Um,
2: did, and I think one of the requirements was to take film and video one. I didn't um, take film and video
1: one. You didn't have no, to No,
0: well, cause I took the uh, film minor
2: in the literature department.
1: Yeah, same. Oh, okay. Or I did some um, studies.
2: Right. So so neither of you took film and video one. So one of the biggest things you have to do in a lot of film and video one classes is a chase scene. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I, I, and I always disregarded that as like this, like a stupid thing. Like why? Like everyone does a chase scene. Like what does it accomplish? Why are we doing this? And Mad Max Fury Road is the answer to that question because it's a perfect movie chase scene. You know, like like the what, whole like, movie is like a chase scene. Mm-hmm. Exactly. HTUSA, it's a chase movie. And I was like, yeah. oh, this yeah. is why they teach that in class because it teaches you how to do narratives through visuals and actions. And I'm exactly. like, oh, that's what this movie is doing.
1: On the uh, surface, it's so simple. Should be
2: in, that movie should be shown in every film class. Yeah.
1: On the surface, it's so simple because chase scenes uh, by default are just point going from point A to B to C. But Mad Max Fury Road shows that you can... St- like sort of stuff so much story and so much narrative into those in between like those a b's and c's or into those little points without making the film seem clunky or over overbearing and And they
2: they go from a b to c
1: back to a yes and that's what makes it so amazing um and it's a it's a film that's perfectly edited too um it there is it was a female editor and i remember there's a lot of articles i'm sorry was it his wife is his wife yeah, the, what, yeah. Was his wife. his and there were a lot of articles about the editing in that film coming or uh, surrounding its release talking about how she always she was mostly a dramatic film editor she didn't do a lot of action films so the way that she edited was she always made sure it was around like a central point so that the eye wasn't confused it could just follow like the center of each frame and make sure that like the whatever you were looking at in the center of the frame was the center of the action, and so it wasn't like it wasn't a lot of the uh, action films' sort of preference that we do now in terms of just like being very shaky and kind of confusing the eye. It was made to be as easy to watch and streamlined as possible. And another thing, like if you put all of the frames next to, uh, if there's like a little thing going around when people would edit films really quickly. And at, like, a double the frame rate or something like that, if you did that with Mad Max Fury Road, you could still see, like, what was happening in the action. It was, it was still incredibly clear, even if it was, like, double the speed that it was before. And that's what's, like, it's so amazing to me. That's why it, for me, is a technically perfect and it's just, like, a thematically perfect film. All right. I love that. Max your second Fury. one. <laughs> <laughs> My second one is E.T., Ooh, nice! Our first Spielberg on the list. I know, which I'm surprised he still has about because like 30 because films. He, I talked about him before. He is the consummate filmmaker, and I think E. T. is just like the the epitome of how perfect of a filmmaker he is. I watched it again recently, and it surprised me just how emotionally caught up I was in it again despite like having seen it so many times before it's a movie that is just technically perfect and like in terms of like the editing the filmmaking and mostly the score the score is just incredible in terms of how it just like will sort of track the emotions and the and um what you're supposed to be feeling along with the film and it is it just it just feels like a magical movie I can't re- I, I feel like I can't really uh, go into the technical as much as I as I can it's just a film that everything seems to work in perfect conjunction with each other so that it creates this sort of magic of filmmaking that I feel like movies should make you feel like you know it's like yeah there's there's iconic moments that are sort of scattered throughout the film but the rest of the movie is is just as strong. Like, it's not just made up of, like, iconic moments that go down in cinematic history. The movie itself is just one one really cohesive, one really beautiful sort of package. So, E.T., a beautiful, perfect film. I can't, I just can't think of any flaws with it. Like Anya was saying, it's, it's a movie that is without flaws, perfectly acted, perfectly shot, has so many moments that just are, like, distill what, Movies should be for me. Okay, my this third choice. One. Thank you. My third choice, and yeah, during whenever I watch the the bike scene in ET, I will start crying. Just John oh. Williams' score as it swells up and they suddenly start I mean, flying air. in the in the air. I'm just I don't know what it is, but it, I just get caught up and my heart gets lifted. And I think that's exactly what a perfect film should be What do. you're supposed to feel. Yeah, exactly. All right, so my third choice. This is one that I was sort of wrestling with because it there are so many films that I think are like near perfect, um, but this is one. This, my third one is Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh, nice. And the one the I reason agree, that I, I was sort of on the fence with this one is because the rest of the film is just like is definition textbook perfect, but then there's that scene at the end where you have like the the dump of exposition about like his sort of like yeah. his mental state, but it works so well because it's bookended by that really eerie, really chilling scene where you uh, zoom in on Norman Bates face and you hear the, um, the monologue of the mother and the, the skeleton skeletal face gets superimposed over that. It's just, it's so mm-hmm. good. Every scene, every shot in that film is the work of a technical master Alfred Hitchcock, every one of his films is so textbook perfect in terms of like how he pulls off the techniques and like he's invented so many techniques as well. I mean, I took a whole class on Hitchcock. So like I have this sort of sort of um, adulation of the way that he is able to create so many techniques that have been that are used still today and that he was able to really um, elevate this idea of suspense just by a few few like little tricks of of technical camera work and uh i think psycho is just kind of the epitome of all that the music the screeching violins the the fact that he wanted at first the movie to be entirely silent but then the music really adds to that
0: it that it adds foreboding so
1: it's so good um the oh, the mcguffin it's a perfect mcguffin too because a lot of mcguffins and hitchcock films feel really just sort of Tertiary, you're like okay, this is a MacGuffin. It's obvious, but the the way that the camera follows the money, the way that the movie that the camera is voyeuristic, is that it's it's like almost alive in a way. It really lends another air of just like visceral feeling to this film mm-hmm. something that you don't see in a lot of his earlier works which which feel very very cold and almost technical but this one feels like a really good combination of just like that sort of pulpy that pulpiness that you see in like 60s 70s horror films but like with the little twist of hitchcock mastery so psycho it's so good yeah oh <laughs> it's such a good one such a great film all right so those are our choices for Perfect films. What would what would your perfect film be? Let us know. But before you let us know, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So do you really like this week?
2: Uh a little show called Gravity Falls. Um I picked it up recently because it was on Hulu and it was on my watch list and I started watching it on like Tuesday Wednesday and I'm a full season in there's two seasons and I love the way that it just builds its mythology and delves into its weirdness and uh, otherworldliness uh for those of you who may not know it's a Disney show. Disney XD. Technically, uh, these twins, Mabel and Dipper, are um, living with their grunkle, their grand uncle Stan, at his mystery shack, which is kind of like this like American cryptid museum with like not real shit. Um, but Dipper finds a journal about the real um, like cryptid stuff in uh, Gravity Falls, the town in Oregon that they're like living in the summer for, um, and it's this like fun little like Americana. Sh- uh type show with like um monsters and aliens and zombies and you know trying to survive basically like it uh gravity falls but it's like really funny too there's a lot of smart humor um it's never really s- it's very playful with its humor and its dialogue and its, like, plot lines. Um, and its characters are so great. They're very well defined. Kristen Schaal is uh, Mabel. And so it's it's so weird because she doesn't really change her voice from Louise uh, in Bob's Burgers. So, like, you have this, like... Entirely like chipper, wholesome character on one end, and then you have Louise Belcher on the other. And it's wild that she can play the same character without really changing like the way she talks at all. H. And John like,
0: Benjamin does the same thing between Archer and Bob Belcher. Like, he oh, does yeah. not change his voice between
2: Bob and Archer, and it's like they're so what? different. Um, <clears throat> but it's so perfect. And uh, I'm only I'm I finished the first season of Gravity Falls and I'm starting the second, and so I'm very excited to see where it goes. I've heard I've heard it gets really good. Um, it's already very good, so I'm really happy um, about it.
1: And, yeah, Gravity Falls. Hey, Willoughby.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you're watching the show because it's
0: so great. Dipper's the best.
1: Yeah, you were telling um, us to watch the show for, like, the past two years, Anya.
0: Well, I don't know about this show, but I was going to ask you, have you finally... Have you guys seen Over the Garden Wall yet? Oh, that's the show. So yes, I, I
2: watched, watched it uh, oh last God. October. Oh, okay, so
0: you did watch it. Okay, HT, you need to watch it. I know. Um, so
2: which know. is great, because Over the Garden Wall sounds not... I was going to um, say, Over... Dipper sounds so much like Elijah Wood that I thought it was, but it's actually Jason Ritter. It and I was like, Jason oh, Ritter. interesting. But Elijah um, Wood, I think, would do a really good job.
0: HT, you have no excuse for Over the Garden Wall, because it's not a TV show, it's a mini series. so once you're done with the ten episodes... And they're it's only an ten hour. minutes long.
2: It's like ninety minutes. You're you're good.
1: I know. I need to watch it's a it. Movie. I
2: have so it's many so things good. to watch, guys. and it's on Hulu
1: too. All right, all right. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll but watch it's just
0: it. like a. Mo- it's the length of one movie. Think about it that way. You're not like binging a whole
2: five season show.
1: Yeah, I can't binge now, anymore.
2: Anya, would you would you tell H D to wait till it like, gets all fall and spooky to watch it? Um. Because it is to, like it would work well if she watched it I dead. Mean, but I I think watch think it
0: now every now, fall because <laughs> it is a fall Halloween show. Yeah. Um, so if you want to wait, HT, then you'll get the whole, like, aesthetic. I'm also just very eager for HT to see it, though, because now that you've seen it, Willoughby, I'm like, all right, I got to make the whole podcast team see it.
1: All right, I'll watch and it Then we can do point. a whole
0: podcast on it.
1: Maybe we'll do it in the fall.
0: Oh, my God, yeah, HT, you should watch it, and then we should talk about it because it's so great. All
1: right. Yeah. Okay, I'll watch it. I need to. Don't no, worry, you have until fall now, so it's fine. Okay, have plenty cool. Of I have a deadline. I, I have like a seven month first. deadline. <laughs> you can do this. I'll try.
2: Watch one episode a month.
1: Alright. Um Anya, why don't you go next? What's your really like this week?
0: So I want to say it was hard to narrow down because um I just needed to point out that pop culture the past few weeks have been great. Like I, there have been so many things to like What's in been happening? music and movies and tv shows i just feel like there's so many things i've been enjoying lately and so it was really hard to narrow down um but i wanted to pick something that i don't think we've brought up on this show yet on our podcast yet and that would be the hbo series barry <gasps> oh, oh we great.
1: haven't brought it up well, i love it we
0: haven't we haven't, we haven't about it and i mean i am the resident, yeah. i am the resident bill hater fan Oh, I, yeah, thought, so like, I
1: thought you were going to say you're the president of the Bill Hader fan club and I was like, that that makes sense.
2: <laughs> no, I, I'm
0: just the founder. Founder, yes. True. Um, but I'm like, if anyone should bring it up, it should be me because I love Bill Hader and everything he chooses to be. Um, Barry is so good, guys. So good. So cool. it's a new HBO comedy um, written and directed by Bill Hader and I'm starring Bill Hader. And the so show like basically the follows... Project? Yeah, basically, and the show follows Bill Hader as a hitman named Barry, and he gets sent on a job to California, and during his job, he ends up stumbling into an acting class um, where his, like, investigation has, like, led him, but he ends up joining the acting class, like, in an impromptu way, and really falling in love with it, and so now he has this moral dilemma of, like, he doesn't really want to be a hitman anymore, it's not the life for him, and he's loving his acting class, but, like, There are people who will threaten him if he doesn't, like, kill people for them. And so, like, it's this whole, like, dark comedy. And Bill Hader's so good. It's, like, you're used to seeing Bill Hader, like, SNL and all that stuff. But, like, people forget that he's, like, he has such a broad range of talent. Like, you see him in the Skeleton Twins or Trainwreck. And, like, Bill Hader really is someone who is the whole package. Because, like, he can do drama a lot better than you realize, if you just know him from SNL. And he's just so superbly talented. And the show is so funny. And I I seriously laugh through like the whole half hour episode every week. It
1: gets surprisingly you think gruesome too. Gonna...
0: It does get pretty gruesome. Do you think it's um, going to but... be an Emmy nomination for Bill Hader? I think it could be. Is this his Atlanta? Could be. It might be. It really could be.
1: I will say... Um, I'm um, loving it. I will say Anya... I did not really think much of Bill Hader beforehand, but now Bill Hader, heartthrob. Right? I was like, wow. I think I'm attracted to Bill Hader for the first time after I watched right? the show. <laughs> this is understand. also why
0: um, Trainwreck is, it's not like my favorite rom-com and I'm not like a huge Amy humor fan, but like Bill Hader, the romantic lead, like really works for me. And now him as, like, a conflicted romantic lead hitman person. Brilliant. I'm, like, I'm so into this. It's so <laughs> great. And it's so funny. And he has no patience for anyone. And it's hilarious. And, like, the, the, like, people he's, like, sort of working with or was working Eastern Europeans, what are they, Bolivian or? Uh, Chechens? Chechens, yeah. yeah, who are going after the Bolivians, something like that. Um, they're hysterical too. Like the guy with no eyebrows. He's so funny. <laughs> he's so funny. It's just the whole show is fantastic and I, I love it and I'm so glad it exists.
1: All right. So my really like for this week is, uh, it's a piece of casting news that I'm quite excited for.
0: I hope it's so, what I think it
1: is. Uh, have you guys heard about the live action Mulan? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, and the casting. They yes. just cast, they have three new castings that are very exciting. So They just cast Gong Li, Donnie Yen, and Jet Li in the live action Mulan from Disney. And as you, as you guys know, I, we were just talking about this before the podcast. I have my reservations about. Any like Disney live action project, especially. Just so you guys know, HG has reservations about pretty much everything. she has high standards,
0: guys. You have to like very high standards. You
1: know, I I care, I care deeply. So when something is potentially not as high as what I expect, then I will, I won't tear it down, but I'll have, I'll be disappointed. But uh, this movie is looking like. It's going to be the Black Panther of uh, beautiful Asian blockbuster <laughs> movies because well, between
0: I, that and Crazy Rich Ages, and Crazy Asians, Crazy Rich
1: Asians too. It's a great time to be an Asian American, and um, I'm I'm actually becoming quite excited for Mulan, even though it's actually getting pushed back because it's supposed to come out uh, like this year or next year. But it's it's still being filmed and they're still casting, obviously. But um, it's it's exciting. I'm not sure who uh Jet Li and Gong Li are playing. Um but I think Donnie Yen is playing her, uh, her mentor. Oh no. Jet Li is in Final Talks to so play the Emperor of China. Um Gong Li will play the film's villain, a powerful witch who seems to be invented for the film. And uh, I think Donnie Yen will play her mentor. So not Mushu. <laughs> will he's like
2: not, will, he's like No, mm-hmm. not Mushu. Who's what's his face?
1: Who in the Qing. the Yeah. They haven't ca- they haven't, they haven't cast yet. Okay. No, Donnie Yen's so a little bit old to play Shang. I
2: yeah. was going to say, is there an analog to the Disney
1: movie that I'm thinking of?
2: Like, who would he be playing? Is it? Is he
1: playing a new character? It would probably yeah. be a new character. It seems like it's a bit different than the Disney film, because his analog would be Mushu. But um, obviously, he's not. I mean, you could still
2: have Eddie Murphy as the dragon?
1: It's <laughs> the voice... But- but I'm happy that they're going this route, just because I love yeah. Donnie Yen. I'm happy to see oh, him in more course. movies, and they're also making an It Man four, so I'm so excited. Ah.
2: Yeah, Donnie Yen's kind of had like now that he's like uh, I think because of like Rogue One, like he's had like success with Disney. They're like, let's get this guy a new in our project. He's
1: got a big Chinese following too. Actually, when I was mm-hmm. first getting excited about Donnie Yen being in Rogue One, my mom was like, Donnie Yen, I know I've known him for like 20 years. He's been like in a million Chinese films, and I'm like, oh. I've only known about him recently. I'm sorry. Yeah, there. well, once
0: you, well break the into ho- once you break into Hollywood, we Americans are like, oh, hello, who are you?
2: <laughs> I think that's the thing. Is like Donnie Yen has had a huge career, but I think, I mean, for me, Rogue One was the first movie I ever saw him in.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw him in Ip Man. He's amazing in that, mm-hmm. by the way, which is all on Netflix. It's this really great nationalistic sort of uh, Chinese martial arts film where uh, Donnie Yen saves China by defeating a Japanese martial artist
0: it's rocky oh
1: my God. it's basically rocky <laughs> amazing yeah like in a tournament or just like on the streets on a tournament obviously nice. he's like i'm gonna defeat this guy and then he does and china gets saved <laughs> it's great would, chi- would china have like fallen to like apocalyptic
0: danger if they if he hadn't won no he has to save its dignity Anya Rocky, Rocky Dignity America okay. okay.
1: We're not like literally
0: gonna... saving China. Okay. Yeah. We're not like so he's not moving. It's, Rocky 4. Not, like, it's, it's Rock- Rocky 4. It's Rocky 4. Rocky 4 essentially.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. it's, it's also like, set during the time when like Japanese the, when Japan was like colonizing a lot of China, so there's a lot of political tensions there. So basically he just he he ends that by defeating a Japanese martial artist. <laughs> Cuz Rocky 4.
0: So basically he saved China and now he's becoming a mentor to a woman who's also going to save China. Exactly.
1: Oh. Donnie Yen has
0: good experience in saving China, so it makes
1: sense. Exactly, he knows all about it. No, so it's like yeah. the
2: creed to to the Rocky. Yeah,
1: this is Mulan's creed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, I think that's a great spot to end. If we Lan if we do
2: if we do random movie if we do random titles instead of like a real thing, I want Mulan's Creed to be like the episode title. But I know <laughs> we have to do like perfect movies.
0: No, but it is that is great. Um, all right, well that is our episode. Um, as H T said, if you guys have movies that are your perfect movies definitely come tell us we want to hear all about them and if you also have thoughts on gravity falls barry or the mulan casting come chat with us and where can they do that Willoughby?
2: you can find us on facebook if you search for us there we're also on twitter at falcon podcast our blog is millennial falcon com. you can listen to us on soundcloud and you can rate review and subscribe and listen to us on itunes and google play and where can they find you guys on the internet?
1: You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya
0: Crittenton on Twitter.
2: And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
1: Alright, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye. Bye.